First I've seen is a picture of Hiroshima. Hiroshima before and after. And literally when I was walking through Taro, when we went through Kesanuma, uh, Rikuzen Takada, it was, might have been worse than, uh, Rikuzen Takada especially, it looked worse than, uh, worse than um, Hiroshima. Because Hiroshima I think had more buildings than after atomic bomb. So it's been 11 years since the big uh, tsunami, earthquake, nuclear meltdown happened in Japan. And James and I are gonna recap how it went, how it was. And you can, so you can see how, you know, my missions and my desire to help the people up in Japan, how it came about. So it'll be an interesting podcast. Check it out, man, right on. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Yamato Damashi podcast. Um, a bit of a somber note today, but I think this is such a cool podcast that we're going to talk about. Today is officially uh, 11 years since the tsunami in Japan. And Ensign, you had a really, really personal involvement um, in terms of the response that you gave. And let's go from the beginning of, of when the news first broke. So where were you when when you heard about the the initial the earthquake that triggered the tsunami i was at home and you know japan has a lot of earthquakes so when this one hit it started shaking and it's kind of like <clears throat> in japan it's kind of like when it starts shaking you kind of wait about knowing that's going to probably end in like five seconds you know it's like oh earthquake earthquake and this one was like i was like oh earthquake and it's like after five seconds it kept going and in fact it intensified so it's like oh shit earthquake whoa still going whoa and i was like kind of getting a little concerned wondering you know if the house falls or the, the roof falls in i mean how is it gonna be so it's kind of watching it shake watching it shake and then what really freaked me out was in my hallway i have a lot of pictures up the hallways started falling the laundry over the the laundry that holds the towels fell over i had actually canned goods fall in the in the cupboard so that's when I knew, holy shit, this is unreal. And I, I was sitting down and it was like, whoa, this is still going. And then you, when I went looked outside, you could almost see the ground kind of going like that. It was wild, man. I was like, holy yeah. crap, this is amazing. And in Japan, whenever there's an earthquake, there's always a, um, on the TV, there's a, no matter what program it is, it's like a little thing that's added in that gives you where the tsunami was, what the power was, everything. So I instantly turned on the TV to watch that. And it was a cra crazy because it, it had it where it was, and it was like freaking, I don't know what it's like. They said at the beginning, it said it was like an 8.9 or something. I think it was actually mm -hmm. a 9.0. Mm -hmm. And then below that, the TVs all interrupted the stations. And it was a tsunami warning. And a lot of times, whenever there's a big earthquake, they have that, you know, tsunami warnings. And it has where, they have it all in red, where it's going to have a tsunami. And a lot of times it was like, a, you know, like even like Hawaii, when they have tsunami morning, it's like, ah, it's like a three foot, the water came up like three feet or, or a couple inches, you know. <clears throat> so I wasn't that concerned. 
But the, it was interesting because the whole coast of Japan was all red. And I was like, whoa, that whole coast is being tsunami warning now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. And I kept watching the TV. And then next thing you know, they had footage of waves going into the land. And it, it didn't look that, because they, they because they didn't show any people getting swept out, didn't look that bad. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting was they have these little um, hot, uh, like greenhouses in Japan. And when you watch the video on TV, it looked like it was like little ones about, you know, about ankle high, you know, or, or knee high. And the waves are just going over it. And when I realized that that was the ones that are actually like, maybe like 10 to 12 feet high. And the way the waves are just covering it and taking it out, it was like, holy shit, that's crazy. And then you see cars getting taken out and everything, but <clears throat> Japan never showed any any bodies and any people getting taken out. So it was like, whoa, destruction, but we didn't think it was that bad until we started getting the news on, you know, how how bad the tsunami actually was and how, how much people were actually dying in it. Yeah, I think it was like 19,000 that died, right? Yeah, there's a, and there's a lot missing too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you hear the news. Um, oh, I know, well, and your fans will know that you obviously went out and, and uh, went and visited survivors. But what, what was the moment like where you, where you made that decision and said, I'm going to go out there? Well, it's real interesting because when I first got the, when we first found out how bad it was, I got a call from a friend that was in the military and the military, the U.S. military gets a lot of information before anyone. So what they told, one of my friends called me and told me to instant get out of Tokyo. He said that the wind, the wind direction is going into Tokyo. There was a meltdown on one of the nuclear plants and there's going to be high radiation coming into Tokyo. So I'm in Saitama, which is north of Tokyo. So it, it, to go to Tokyo, it comes right through Saitama. <clears throat> I was actually going to go to one of my, Kyoto, my gyms in Kyoto down south a week later. And I thought, ah, you know what? I'll push it up a week and just go early. So I jumped in my Hummer, drove down to Tokyo. I mean, Kyoto. Drove down to yeah. Kyoto, you know, to get away. And as I'm driving down to Kyoto, I'm getting calls from my parents because they're seeing all the news on how bad it is. And she's telling me to get out of Japan, leave Japan or pay your ticket, get, get out of Japan. And I, I was really resistant. I said, you know, I consider Japan my home and I'm not, not about to leave in the first sign of disaster. Mm-hmm. If anything, I want to stay here and see what I can do, if there's anything I can do. And she goes, no, get out, get out. She, then she actually compromised with me and told me, how about you fly to Okinawa? And I'll which is we'll pay your full paid trip with we'll just stay in Okinawa. And I was and you know, it was actually appealing to me because I was like, whoa, freaking full paid vacation in Okinawa. And Okinawa is beautiful. I think the beaches are better, nicer than Hawaii, the Okinawan beaches. Wow. I was like, oh, trip to Okinawa. And I was uh, I, I I was in a dilemma where I didn't think it was necessary, but to to keep my parents in a you know a feeling of comfort, that was important. So I actually was pondering on the whole thing. And the ironic thing was I had a um, gangster event I was supposed to do security for. Like that, this, the following weekend. So I uh, called them and I asked them that, um, is, is a gangster event still going on? Wondering if, you know, it's actually going on. They said, 
The guy told me, no, it's canceled. He said, all the big, the big promoter guys are all headed up to the north. And it kind of hit me. I was like, wow. They're driving up towards the danger to see if they can help people. And I'm driving away, running away from it. And for me as a man, it kind of, it kind of pierced me in my heart. Like, wow, what kind of man are you? Hmm. Yeah. So that was where I decided to go up. And because my parents were all worried, I didn't tell them. So next day I was, it was actually a blessing in disguise that I went to Kyoto because Kyoto was so far down North. They, they weren't, people weren't panicking as much. So in Tokyo, there was nothing on the shelves anymore. Right. So all canned goods and, you know, um, non-perishable products is what they need. You know, like ramen, you know, canned mm -hmm. fruits, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, of course, um, basic necessities, you know, women tampons, you know, mm -hmm. um, soap, anything, laundry detergent, you know, that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> I went to a big supermarket in Kyoto. I had a Hummer, so I filled my Hummer with goods. Oh, wow. And this, I, I went out telling my parents I decided to drive up. It was really challenging driving up because there were so much cracks in the highways. Yeah. You couldn't stay on the highway the whole time. Also, gasoline was a problem because a lot of gasoline stations were not giving. You only had or allotted like a, a certain amount of gasoline. Mm -hmm. So I had to really make the trek up. Filled my gas in uh, Kyoto. Kyoto wasn't having a problem like that. Filled my gas in Kyoto, hit it out. I had to, there was a, we had to get off the highway, get back on the highway, get off the highway. And all the cars out there, there were really no regular cars out there. It was uh, army and, and police. So I was like one of the only normal cars out there. It was, uh, I think it was about a week after the tsunami hit. Wow. So it was like straight away. Straight away. So when yeah. I got up there and I got to this town called Kodiyama because I had my big problem was I wasn't planning to be a, humanitarian or, or save people. I was thinking of the people I knew mm -hmm. and I was concerned to see how they were doing and if I could help with cleanup or anything. So I went up to, I used to live in Koryama for four years when I first went to Japan. It's in Fukushima. It's a little bit um, south of Fukushima. So I went there. I found some of my friends up there and they told me, you know, they, they, they took me to their house. What the, This house, everything, like the refrigerator fell over. That's how bad the shakes was. So he was okay. His house was a little, you know, his apartment was a little, you know, a lot of damage. But he said, they're okay. Everything's okay. So I drove around the town and there were like buildings that literally collapsed. I mean, if you saw it, when I was feeding the cat, that's that was in Fukushima, and Kodiyama too. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, okay, they're okay. Um, you know, I, I, I thought, okay, that was my main objective to see if I could help them. I know nobody up north, so I didn't think uh, driving more up north wouldn't really matter. But I got I got a call from one of the kickboxing girls, this, this girl, Atsuko, and she called me and said, I have a friend up north, and I can't get in touch with him, and I'm worried about him. So I said, oh, shit, I figured, you know, I'm up north. I'll just go check him out. So she, I said, can you give me your, her, his address? So she gave me the address. I already told her I'm going to go up. I put it in my navigation, and it was six hours more up north. So Whoa. I was like, holy shit, it's so much further. So I said, uh, you know, I promised her I want to do it. So I said, okay, I'll go. So I drove up north, <clears throat> and 
I drove off and I stopped in Sendai, which is uh, in Miyagi, Miyagi Ken, and it's a uh, you know it's it was it wasn't it was affected by the earthquake a lot. Went to the coast and oh my god, everything was flattened. So like holy shit, what am I driving into? So I figured okay, I keep going up north. So I went up north to that town where the guy lived, <clears throat> and when I went up to the town. It was funny because I started driving to the coast to find out because that's the the address. So he lived right on the water side, so that it was about driving to the to the coast and finding him. And then as I was driving, it was kind of oh, the the town is called Miyako. Mm-hmm. But as I'm driving to the town, I'm thinking, shit, there's everything's perfect. It doesn't seem like anything. And you know, tsunamis are really incredible because <clears throat> it's not like an earthquake. As you get to the epicenter, damage damage gets worse. There's no no damage. And as soon as you hit, I made a turn, everything was gone, like an like a atomic bomb hit. I went to the Hiroshima, I went to the Hiroshima exhibit, and they showed a picture of where the um, atomic bomb hit. It looked literally looked like an atomic bomb hit. Everything wow. was flattened. It was rubble, wood. It was like debris. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And when I drove there, there were, um, there were still bodies around. There were bodies on trees. There were bodies on, you know, like the gasoline stand tops. It was on top of that, as that high up. Wow. And the, the smell was, uh, you know, you want to say like rotten fish mixed with a, like a real weird stent. Mm. And there were tons of army trucks. And all the army trucks were doing was making roads in the rubble and making sure they can bring the bodies to a, a little lot that they, people would come and identify. Mm-hmm. And there were like cars that had painting on it. And they, it was like what day they checked the car and there was an X or a circle where either they no bodies or they found the body. Shit. Yeah. So it was, it was incredible because when I went up, it was still, there was no patrol on blockage and where you can go. You could go anywhere. So I was literally, you know, I think in the the video shows that the documentary that we had, the Yamato Damashi Diaries, mm-hmm. it shows that I'm walking in a hospital. There was nobody blocking off. There was no red tape. You could walk anywhere. And you walk into hospitals, walk into ballrooms, you know, wedding rooms, you know, checking it out. You know, you, I mean, it was incredible. And we moved around to, I moved around to different towns, checking the devastation. There was a town that they said that, um, Bodies were stuck in the uh, the, um, the dam where they opened and closed the water to let it in. So Whoa. there was a, tons of bodies just accumulated in there. So I don't know. I don't know what intrigued me, but I, I mean, I went wanted to see if it was still there. And so I drove to that town. And that's the one I, I think in the video, I was standing on a real high building. And I was thinking, look at this, nothing. And I even looked down at a three-story building. And even the top of that building was like debris. But... Uh, uh, lucky for me, I, I mean, the traumatized, the being traumatized, seeing all the bodies stuck in the dam would have been bad. So lucky for me, they already had cleaned that out. And so that's that's how it started. And I went to I went to visit her friend. You found the friend. Yeah, I got to see him. And I, you know, my whole mission wasn't to be a humanitarian; it was to help him. So he came and he told me, "Okay, we're fine." I said, what about cleanup? He goes, no, don't worry, we're fine. He said, but there are people that need what you brought. 
So he told me, I'll take you to the, one of the evacuation centers. So he took me to the evacuation center. We weren't allowed to go inside, but there was a drop-off area for goods and across the building. So he went and dropped it off, unloaded everything in like five minutes, and was like, okay, thank you. And I, I was standing there like, I don't know. I just felt like I kind of wanted to see the people's smiles or see the gratitude in the people. You know, I kind of wanted to make correspondence with them. So we got in the car and I looked at him and I said, man, that's it. I said, wow. I said, I can't meet the people. He goes, yeah, they're not allowing people in because they said a lot of people were coming in and trying to take advantage of the people and upselling things. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That is mental. So they wanted to regulate what kind of people can go in only family members can go in and he said do you want to meet the people i said i mean i'm all the way up here i'd love to meet the people and see what they need so he told me his his a lot a big portion of his family is in another evacuation center at a high school and he said if you want i'll bring you there so i went there got to go there went in there met the people and the japanese people were interesting people because i walked around and I kind of wanted to find out what they needed. Mm-hmm. So I'd walk around and ask them, is there anything I can get for you? So when I walked around and, you know, Japanese people are real proud people, yeah? So they would mm-hmm. tell me, daijoubu. Where da- daijoubu is, I'm okay, I'm okay. okay. Yeah. I'm like, oh, they're not daijoubu because they're, they're sitting with whatever they ran out of the house with. And they have, they're living in cardboard boxes. Cardboard, you know, like when you're a kid, you make a house with the cardboard boxes. Mm-hmm. That's what they're living in. The whole gymnasium is all cardboard boxes. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, it was like they didn't open up to me. So what I did was I just drove. It was funny because of the the clear closest big town that had a lot of products or, or supplies was three hours away. So I drove three hours away, got a hotel there, spent the night, woke up in the morning, bought, filled my Hummer again with goods what I thought they wanted, just guessing because they wouldn't tell me. Drove back into town the next day and went there and just brought everything to them. And we made it where we had everybody, you know, put it on a table, everybody would line up and they would take what they want. Mm. And it was crazy because everyone got up, lined up, and they, they took it. They were super appreciative. And then even still then, I kind of walked around and said, is there anything else I can bring? They were, no, we're okay. Thank you for what you brought. And I was like, fuck, they're not okay. So I did the same thing, went back all the way into the town and then bought a whole bunch of products, went back in again, did the same thing for like three days. Finally, on the third day before I left, one of the old ladies came up to me and said, I need shoes. She was barefooted. I said, oh, you don't have shoes. She goes, yes, I need shoes. I said, what size? She told me her size and another lady came and said, I need shoes too. And they all started crowding on me. And and I think it shows it on the video. It's kind of like, wow, mm. they're actually telling me what they want. This is super cool, man. So they started telling me what they wanted. One, one guy, which was not allowed, wanted wine. And it wasn't allowed. But I, I snuck wine to him. There was another person that wanted cigarettes. And I, I don't smoke. You know, I, I believe that smoking is so bad for your health. And I was thinking, yeah, should I promote smoking? Should I buy them? And I thought, you know what? Who gives a shit right now? They're they're yeah. lost everything. They're in such dire need of you know just support or or stress relief. 
I said, you know, who am I to say, oh, it's not good for your health. I'm not to buy a cigarette. So I bought packs of cigarettes. I didn't realize how expensive cigarettes were. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I bought cigarettes. And so the next five trips was all about, you know, bringing them, you know, the supplies they needed. And it, it was crazy because when, you know, the video that was made, that was like a month later. And that's when uh, Daniel Herbertson came up with me. And he wanted to document it, and we went, and we went to it, and then it was crazy. It, it hit me real hard when an old lady came up to me, and I, I bought I bought her shoes. I passed her over the shoes, and she held it to her chest and started tearing up. Mm. And she looked at the uh, um, uh, what's his name, Daniel. She looked at Daniel, and she goes, "I needed these shoes. You see this shirt I have on." This is from Ensign. You see this pants I have on? This is from Ensign. The socks I have is from Ensign. And she started tearing up, almost ready to cry. And, you know, they're real proud people, so she didn't want to cry. And she turned around and ran back to her cardboard box. And, they, they, like, I mean, I don't know. You know, when I was growing up, I always thought it's, I, I believed that the, the true happiness in life is the happiness of giving, not receiving. It's unfortunate that when you're little, you're taught that the ha true happiness in life is about getting presents so you know your birthday you uh you receive presents yeah mm -hmm. but what i realized through my lifetime is that true happiness in life is actually re giving not receiving yeah but i always thought that giving to people you know giving to people you love you know is the only way to get the true happiness but at that moment i realized that holy shit the warmth i had in my heart the happiness i had it was like wow it's not about just giving people you love or you know. Even you can mm -hmm. give strangers and see their gratitude. And it's it's like, you know, people say, wow, you went and spent all that money. And you, you, you didn't get anything of it. And I'm like, I'm on my 60th mission, 61st mission now, continuously. Yeah. And I get so much out of it. I think the gratitude and the warmth in my heart that I get, I, no money can buy. On one note, you know, I, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars doing that. I was, I was going to ask, like, do you have a rough idea of how much you probably spent? Probably about altogether in the, altogether in the beginning. Uh, well, say altogether up until now, probably about $40,000. Wow. But see, the thing with that is I had a friend, this guy, Milton. He called me in Hawaii, from Hawaii and he said, hey, what do you need? And I was like, whoa. And he, he looked at, he told me before I could say anything, he goes, cash is king. Cash. That was his thing, cash is king. And I was like, whoa. He goes, give me a bank account details. I think he wired to me $30,000. Wow. Yeah. So I started, I'm, I'm paying him back on that still today. But yeah, I mean, without his help, that probably I probably wouldn't have been able to do as much as I did. So thanks to Milton. And then, you know, my friend Darren Suzuki, he kind of organized it. He came, yeah. he was the one that got banged from the Yakuza. Milton's yeah, yeah. actually good friends with Darren. And right. Darren, like, kind of, I guess Milton might have called Darren and they kind of talked about it. And Milton called me and, and asked me that, you know. So that was incredible help, you know. Of course, yeah. you know, he it helped out for what I could do, yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of celebrities in Japan that went up first you know first two, two weeks or something just for the publicity yeah and take pictures and post all that i look i'm helping the north they all fizzed out within a year right 
I mean, what what year is it now? It's uh, the 11 year or 12 year? Yeah, le- 11 years. I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it mm-hmm. today. Of course, COVID restricted where and what I can do. The fact that they took all the people out of temporary housing and put them back in their homes that still has radiation. I lost touch of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But today it still goes on. I mean, I, uh, right now the biggest thing I can do now is uh, take care of an orphanage that I've been doing for eight years now. So buy shoes for the orphanage every single year. And the kids, you know, they grow. So every time we, before we go, mm-hmm. we get the sizes of all the kids, the colors they want, and we find what they want. So, you know, that that, that was amazing though for me. I mean, I got so much out of it. To see the women tearing up and thanking me, you know, I mean, there's in the video too, it's like when there's one day that I, I realized that there was a fishing town and all the boats and all the docks are devastated. So they're into like eating sashi, raw fish, you know. So yeah. I actually drove into the town and I and I arranged where they had uh how many how many people were there? I don't know how much it was. It was probably about forty to fifty plates of raw fish. Yeah, and you go with the sashimi. So I went and did that and I got that to them and you know it was crazy because they all lined up and you could see that joy in them that they're getting fresh fish. And you know, before I left, you know, they saw started applauding me and I was like, Holy crap, this is unreal. Yeah. I mean, that I'm making a difference with these people's lives, you know. And <clears throat> I vouch to them I'm coming back next week. So I, I actually, although it was like an eight-hour or nine-hour drive away from my home, I frequented there. I frequented there at least, oh, geez, about two two times a month when I'm wow, there to help yeah. them and, and help out. That's so good. I think um, I love that. You know there was that little documentary and we'll put the link in the in the description but yamato damashi diaries um really it's so good that 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 actually exists right because you know now people people might not even be aware of of how much work you did out there and it's just at least there's a little snapshot just a little snippet just to sort of show people you know that that's that's what 15 minutes of footage but the amount of hours you spent like going there i think it's so good that there's at least something that's captured of that time period but yeah, I mean, one of the things my wife asked me this actually. She was like, "How how do you manage to stay so strong when you're around so many people and you've got to put that brave face on? Like, what is it that keeps you going?" No, there were um, honestly, it wasn't captured on video. I mean, there might have been shots that he interviewed me that you could see it happening, but I've actually after leaving the areas, I think this might have also happened when um, Daniel wasn't with me. But I, it's just a it's just a traumatizing experience to see people's lives totally destroyed within a within a moment. Yeah, and I've I've had times where I've cried on the way home, and you know I had to, I had to regroup, <clears throat> and I knew that when I see them, they they, I channel strength to them. So I knew I had to you know I mean I'm driving back to the hotel that I stayed in it was three hours away I had three hours back out there. I might have cried on the way back and, you know, kind of gathered myself, got ready. And then, you know, the joy of thinking that, oh, man, I want to bring this guy wine today. He's going to be super happy. I'm going to sneak it in, you know. Yeah. That yeah. kind of stuff just overwhelmed. And it's funny because after I'm done and they thank me, you see him crying. And it's like, for some reason, after it, it kind of hits you a lot, you know, like, holy shit, man. And you, you, you start wondering, yeah, like, what is life all about, man? I mean, how can something like this happen to these people? You know, what's real interesting is Miyako, that town, was devastated by the earth, earthquake about 100 years ago. 
I mean, a tsunami, I mean. Yeah, so that yeah. town was actually wiped out before 100 years ago. The whole wow. town, like it was, wiped out. And um, what happened was they had this great idea that they were going to build a, a, a break wall. So they, they, they built a wall that was eyesores about 30 feet high that surrounded the town. So they were so there was like that big beautiful wall that would protect their city. So when the tsunami warnings came out, there was numerous people that ran out to the break wall to watch because they were so confident the break wall would protect them. And that tsunami when it hit the break wall it went right over it. I think if you Google that, I think there's some some uh, footage on that, mm. and you see people these realizing that it's, the break wall is not going to stop it, and they start running. Mm. Just start trying to run for safety, and you know you cannot run away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was incredible. And the crazy thing too is when we started walking through, trying to um, see if there's you know more tough stuff we can help. We walked through rubble. I walked through a lot of rubble, and it's it's uh it's it hits you it hits you really hard when you see pictures of children. Mm. They get full like. Uh, Family albums are still in the rub rubble, and you you know I think it it, it shows it in the video to pick up the pictures and it's just just amazing to think that. I wonder if these people made it. I wonder if these pictures. I wonder if they made it because the the tsunami hit at um, I think like five in the afternoon, and it's like oh that's like, like when everyone's coming yeah. home for dinner. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just like yeah. So it's it's crazy, man. There's there was a hotel that all up to the fourth floor was seaweed. I was like, wow. Even these people on the fourth floor, there was a hospital that got overwhelmed by the tsunami all the way to the fifth floor or fourth or mm -hmm. I forget. I said it on the video, but fourth or fifth floor. Well, you know, it's crazy, mm -hmm. man. If you look off in the coastline, standing on that fifth floor, and thinking they're telling you a tsunami's coming, I would bet my whole life that. I'm safe here. It's so yeah. high up, so high up that it's like, nah, it's not going to reach here. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I feel like if I was in that town, I probably would have died because I really thought that it would, would be okay. Take it lightly. Yeah, yeah. I talked to a lot of people too, and there were stories of, of mothers that told me that um, they, their, their daughter was uh, trying to run away in a car. And the tsunami picked up the car and started sw sweeping her out. And yeah. they just had to watch her just get swept out to sea. Never saw her again, you know. That's rough. I mean, some of the stories you hear is like, holy crap, you know. I, mm. These people are really strong people. And you think that I really wouldn't know what I would do if I went through that, you know. So, mm -hmm. you know, I can't do much to bring the daughter back. But what I can do is try and help them. And what what they're going through now, and try and ease the pain, you know. Of course, financially it's hard. Some people ran out without their shoes, so that was uh, the biggest part of my mission. Then the other part mm. of my mission was going into the the zone. I I I actually was just doing runs up north to bring supplies, and when I met with this one guy, he was a construction worker that goes into the zone to build you know, try and repair stuff for them. And you're talking about, they had a three-mile radius where they were blocking off anybody from entering. So three miles within the, the actual nuclear plant. Yeah. So 
we got a we got a car here. He got he got us a driver. We had to we had to fake IDs. So I had a fake ID and I had to pretend who that was. I was him. And we went in and showed our IDs and they we had to sneak in. So we got in and my whole thing was man I told the guy I had a Geiger counter with me and a dosimeter. So I was real I, I looked up radiation about how much we can absorb. I know I know you can't absorb more than sixty thousand microsieverts in a year or your blood mm-hmm. chemistry or change which will start causing leukemia and cancer. So I had a Geiger counter and a dosimeter. The Geiger counter records what you're actually in. The dosimeter is according what you're actually absorbing throughout the whole time. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy because the Geiger car, I would go up and I kept the, kept looking at both. And I, I instructed the driver to drive up, drive to the plant. And I was watching the dosimeter and it wasn't going up that high. I mean, at one point in the, in the I guess, you know, in the, the slopes, the bottom, the guy, the radiation accumulates. At one point, you know the dosimeter. If you're standing in a radiation town, uh, in about an hour it'll go up 0.1 microsievert. That dosimeter at that one point where we're in a where our accumulated uh, area where the radiation is accumulated was moving like a stopwatch. Whoa! And I even showed the driver, and he looked at me like, "Holy shit!" I don't, I don't want to yeah. see. He told me. He literally told me, "I don't want to see that. I don't want to yeah. see that." Yeah. So we're all dressed up in radioactive suit, the white ones that they have. Right. And I instructed him to drive to the plant. And I told him, don't worry, I'll be watching the dosimeter. And if it, or the Geiger counter, that's what, explaining what radiation we're in at the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I told him, don't worry, I'll get you. If it goes up too high, I'll let you know. Before I knew it, dude, we're at the plant. And you know all the pictures of that light blue nuclear plant? And the, yeah. the one that blew up had like kind of wood frame. It's like yeah. a real instinctive picture that people who watch the news about the nuclear plant, that's the image that, you know, you'll never forget. And uh, he told me, oh, I told him, oh, we're here? <clears throat> he said, I he said, yeah, and I looked up. I saw those those four light blue nuclear plants, and I yeah. saw that one on the news all the time with the all the wood particles on it. And I was like, holy shit, we're here. Yeah, and then stupid me wanted to go out and you know get some pictures and document it. <laughs> and before I was gonna get out, he said, "No, we gotta go. We gotta go." He was panicking, mm. and he said, "Let's go, let's go." And before I even could get out, and he started driving away. Mm. And what I found out later was it was lucky that we had the wind direction was going the opposite way, or that at that point right there the radiation was super high, so we could have been really hit bad. To a point where even being there for a couple minutes would have really affected our health. So we got out of there, and you know the the you know we went there. I got I got a whole bunch of radiation suits and gas masks at my house now because when we went to the um when we got in the plant, they 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 handed out free to people who are in there to help. So I just grabbed some extras because you know I never you never know when it's going to actually go down to Tokyo again. So I grabbed a whole bunch extra. And they, they didn't care. They, they didn't care what you grabbed. If you needed more for people, they allowed you to grab. I got, I got all that at home, all the gas masks and all the radiation suits. That's crazy. And yeah, so, you know, there's not much we could do up there. Uh, it was yeah. like, uh, you know, the more the professionals would do anything. If us, we, didn't, we couldn't do it. I talked to a kid that was up there. 
getting paid like a shitload of money to be up there per day. But these kids are just coming into radiation and working in radiation because it was good money. Not really concerned about their health. Yeah, it was really yeah. bad. Yeah. Damn. So we got out of there and then I went in another. Then then what happened was I, f- I realized that there's not much I can do in the radiation zone. Mm-hmm. And I went to help a dog sanctuary that we, we got word that they needed help. So we went and bought dog food. Me and Darren, actually, Darren came up to Japan. We bought a whole shitload of dog food. We brought it to them. And then the, the lady that was working that place told me that um, they're going to be going into the zone to um, rescue dogs or feed dogs. So I said, oh, shit, I want to go in too. So we went in. I, uh-huh. I bought a whole shitload of food, mixed like three buckets of food. So we'd go out and find dogs. We couldn't bring them out. We'd find dogs and we'd uh, dump the food on the road so they can come and eat. And it was, you know, it was real amazing. It was like a month after the whole the whole thing hit. Yeah. But these dogs that craved human love were totally afraid of us. They all really? Dumped, yeah. Funny because the dogs will just fall back to their um, primary, you know, their 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 instincts, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, so they yeah. started running in packs. They started killing off the weak. They told like a wolf pack. Wow. They had territories where this dog was a leader of this territory with his group. <clears throat> so we'd go there and I'd dump food on them. And you can tell they're hungry because a lot of them are skinny. They would come out for the food. Mm. And if I try to pet them, they'll like shy away. Mm. Yeah, it was unreal, man. Some puppies too. It's like, wow, these dogs. I cannot believe a month ago these dogs craved human love. Yeah, yeah. But now they're like totally afraid of humans. Yeah, that is mental. So it was frustrating because all we could do is feed them and leave, you know. Mm. So we, we, every time we saw a dog, we got out. They would run from us and wait and watch. And when we said this, when they see us putting out food, they would start coming out. So we would leave, and they would start eating. So that was one of the things. And then a month later, the girl told me that they're actually allowed to bring them out. So she asked me if I want to go in to catch them. That was crazy, man. We went in there, not a single dog in sight, man. Oh, damn. Yeah. I don't know if they died or I don't know what happened, mm. man. And there were some cats, but cats are hard to catch. So the only mm. way we could do the cats is we had to set traps. And, you know, they would go in and check it later. Mm. And then, you know, we drove through the towns. We drove to 7-Elevens. You know, Japan has a reputation of being a real good country where there's no, no you know, safe and people are honest. From what I hear, the Chinese mafia came into the towns and they raided all the ATMs. No way. Yeah, you walk into the ATMs. I don't know. I don't know. There's, I think there's a YouTube that has all that, you know. Really? They put all those videos. I'll send you the links when I find them. But mm-hmm. yeah, I walked into a 7-Eleven. Dude, everything, like the food scattered around the ground. The ice cream's all melted. There's a real stink smell. The sandwiches and bentos are all rotten. And every single 7 we went into, the ATMs were ripped open. All the cash gone, yeah. It's just yeah. unreal. And so, you know, so we, we I, I looked at, I saw that, man. I saw that stuff happening. And people were surprised at that because they thought Japan, that kind of stuff wouldn't happen. But, mm. you know, it did happen. And, mm. yeah, it, uh, so I just continued the missions, you know, temporary housing. We went to temporary housings. We fed, uh, we brought supplies to the people. And I got real close to the people. Yeah. But after, because of the Olympics, 
they needed to spend their money there so the government um suspended all the temporary housing put all the people back in till today into the radiation that hasn't changed since the tsunami hit what they put them right back in yeah they put them right back in so some Fuck. people went with their family some people tried to go home but you know i think it was like eight years later eight yeah. years of the house being unoccupied is corroding the, the the weeds are super high so a lot, lot of it was unlivable hmm. so yeah so you know Stop, i mean man. yeah the government really didn't really take care of the people so yeah yeah so it's incredible so i'm still you know I, I i vowed that i was gonna continue the missions until the people are okay which is never ever going to happen mm -hmm. so i'm doing this uh you know as much as i can right now the only contact we have now is the is the orphanage mm -hmm. so yeah we're doing that every year every year we're, we're buying shoes for the kids and yeah. now because we because they have a rule where you can't um go from one prefecture to another the especially mm -hmm. the the orphanage they're real strict on that so we can't go and see the kids anymore so you know that was part of my biggest joy to see the kids smiles yeah seeing their new shoes but you know i mean that's a sacrifice we make now because we can't see that but we're still just sending them all up we're sending i think last time we sent five or six huge boxes of all the shoes in it yeah yeah we did the video right yeah and you know i like to leave the shoes in the shoe box because that's kind of part of the experience you know opening up the box and seeing yeah. the shoes instead of just throwing it all in one box if we did that we could probably send it in three boxes mm. but i wanted to keep all the shoes i had to play tetris trying to get as much boxes in that one big box mm -hmm. but yeah so you know the the mission goes on man and i'm continuously doing this and if I got to still spend my own money, I still do it. You know, Destiny Forever, that's misunderstood because a lot of people think if you buy a Destiny Forever bracelet, you contribute to the mission. It's yes and no. I don't want to, I can't advertise it like that because I'm not a um, nonprofit organization. Mm -hmm. So I have to be honest that, you know, hey, what purchases you make of Destiny Forever will support me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I get a massage. Sometimes I get me and Sarah go eat good food. But most of the times, a lot of the money is going to the mission. So, yes, it is the fact that if you support in a roundabout way, you support the company, you're supporting the missions. Definitely. Definitely. It's not a nonprofit organization. So I choose to use the money that I make for yeah. that. So, you know, just to, you know, just to have an outlet of people that want to donate, instead of buying a bracelet, I set up a foundation, Encininoi Foundation, that they can actually make donations there. And it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a legit foundation where you can use it. I forget what the, the name of the foundations are, but the, the ones you can use tax deductible if we send them a letter, you can deduct tax out of it. So it's right. a proper um, nonprofit organization. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's crazy because that money trickles in. And even the last mission we did with the shoes, it was like $2,300. Nice. We I spent my money with it, but I had enough money in the uh, foundation to reimburse myself for it. Right. So you nice. know the people that are donating. I mean, I got customers that come in and I they say the bracelets two two hundred thirty dollars. They want to pay three hundred, and I'm like, no, that's too much. It was, and then they, they're, they're, the trick to them to make me take the money is donate it to the mission. I'm like, hope oh, right. okay. <laughs> yeah. So I get a lot of people doing that. You know, so it, that's true. It, it accumulates. Yeah. So yeah, I got kids, uh, people coming in. 
like I had a lady, um, Joey, I was real close with her husband. She comes in to, you know, buy for buy bracelets. And then she shows me a $200 check for the mission. You know, got, awesome. I got great people around me, people supporting me. So, yeah. you know, that's cool. That, I mean, like I that's said, really cool. the missions will continue to the day I die. Yeah, man. I think um, your MMA career, right, is there's so many like inspiring moments, you know, whether it's the Randy Couture fight, whether it's the Eagle fight, but really I, you know, I, I think this is one of the defining moments of your life, right? You know, the, you were in a situation where you really wanted to help and you went out, you did it. You actually like put, you know, boots to asses and went out there and, and really made an impact and really helped people. And it's just incredible, man. And I think, um, I, I kind of wanted to get your take as well. This is totally a little bit off topic, but you know, in your book, you said when nine eleven happened, you really felt like you went to almost you know join the army, right? And then the tsunami happens, you do this. With the situation going on with Ukraine, and, and a lot of your fans are, are Ukrainian, right? I mean, do you have any strong thoughts on that? Well, I, I do have a thought in a way that um, we don't have all the insides on it. Mm. We don't know what Ukraine has done to Russia, what Russia has done to Ukraine. We 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 just seeing what is you know, the hard part is about is it's hard to believe the news nowadays. Yeah, I know. You mean. There's there's rumors that their Ukrainians are taking pictures of people purposely just pretending like they're bleeding so they can put it to the media. That you know, there's that type of rumors. You know, I mean, I basically feel that yeah, Putin is probably a little bit of a tyrant and trying to take over another country. And I do feel for the Ukrainian people, but honestly, I don't know the the whole thing behind those two countries. Yeah. So it's really hard to get a real strong stance and it's really hard to get passionate about it and feel like, fuck, I wish I could do something, you know? So mm -hmm. I feel for the Ukrainian people. I mean, especially, you know, Igor Vovachanchi, one of my opponents, mm -hmm. I hear he's up there fighting right now. Yeah, I think um, when you're big fans, old school combat, who runs that page? I think he's mentioned something, didn't he? That Igor is out there, like on the front line. So yeah, that that, that kind of hit me, like holy shit, Igor! Yeah, and to think yeah. that Russia will eventually overpower Ukraine. Yeah, he's gonna die. You know, I almost feel that, like holy crap! I, oh, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. a he's a big part of my life, Igor. Mm -hmm. And I would love to meet him and even you know talk to him again and somehow yeah, we... someday see him. And if this thing doesn't turn out right, he. I might not ever see him again. And I, for me, it's a little hard to, you know, wrap my head around it. Mm -hmm. And to see some of the videos, of course, what's exaggerated, what's not, I don't know. But to see some of the videos of what's happening there, it's like, wow, you, it's crazy. And then there brings that fear of, wow, will this escalate to a world war now? Which is possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't yeah. know. Man. It's, it's hard. I don't think he'll get that far. I think reason will prevail in this day and age. But oh, I hope know, so. yeah, so I have, well, thoughts and prayers to everyone that's struggling uh, with it because it's a tough situation right now for for everyone out there, you know. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you've got fans from all over the world, right? You got fans in Russia, you got fans in Ukraine. So you know, yeah, hopefully... I got I got fans in Ukraine saying, um, you know, when I posted that thing about I didn't I didn't agree with the war. 
I had fans from Ukraine saying, thank you, thank you. And I actually had a couple fans from Russia saying, you don't even know what the fuck's happening. Shut them out. You know, like, Ukraine is bad. You know, and it's like, whoa. So that's what made me think, like, holy shit, there's actually two sides of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah. what's, what's interesting is there was a Russian girl that I'm in contact with on Instagram. And she actually like randomly contacted me on Instagram about finding her father. Cause she, she's, a, I think she was a child that was out of marriage. And so the, the guy who made the trip to Russia impregnated her mother and left and it kept it a secret from his wife in Japan. Wow. So, but apparently she contacted, kept contact with her father. And all of a sudden, it just cut the contact. She would write letters. He would write letters back, and it just cut. So she was worried that he passed away because he's an elder man. Mm-hmm. And she, it was weird because, you know, when you post in uh, Instagram, you can post where you are. And I, my town is called Iwatsuki. And I guess yeah. she started reaching out to all the people in Iwatsuki, long shot, but she tried. And she said, hey, I see you live in Owatsuki. I'm looking for my father. And I thought it was a prank. I was saying, what, what the hell is this? So I kind of yeah, yeah. answered her and said, do you know his address? She gave me the address and I put it in Google Maps. And like, holy shit, literally like a five-minute walk from my house. <laughs> so she gave me the name and I, I told Sarah, oh, this is weird. Let's go check it out. We went there and I had goosebumps because when we walked up the driveway to look at the, the mailbox, there was a name on the mailbox that she gave me. For the sake. Same name that she said. Same name. And I was like, holy shit, sir, this is real. So by every chance, she wanted me to um, go talk to him and stuff. And I'm like, with me, with all the tattoos and all this, he's going to freak out. And what if his wife answers the door? What am I going to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I told her, you know what? I'm going to just keep driving by there and seeing if I can catch a view of him. So it was one day we were driving by there and there was an old man out over the fence, looking down at children, talking to the children, walking home from school. So Sarah and I ran a video on it and videoed him. And got a pretty clear video and sent it to her. And she was like, oh, shit, thank you. That's him. He's okay. And it was kind of cool because I thought she was going to ask me, I'll talk to him, tell him about me. But she backed off and said, you know what? Thank you. But to bring um, the reason why I'm bringing this story up is because I'm in contact with her. I kept contact with her, saying hello and everything. She just mm-hmm. had a child. She always she mentioned to me like I wish my father my father would be able to see his grandchild. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, you know, not asking me to do anything. She messaged me two days ago, telling me about you know. We don't know why we we are, we're not at fault. Why are we getting? Why are we being hurt by this? You know, she's in Russia now. Mm-hmm. She doesn't oh, agree with the, the war. Sanctions. Yeah. Yeah. She's and then she's saying, why are we being punished? Why my me, my children, my family, we didn't do anything. Why are we being punished? And she even wrote to me that Instagram and everything is probably going to be shut down. So she gave me her email saying that if we shut down, we can keep in touch. Yeah. Awesome. And then she then then and then after that, the next sentence she wrote, it just I kind of sank my heart. She said, I'm already I've already actually lost hope. So please give my best to your loved ones and your family. Yeah, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, hopefully she's all right. Yeah, I don't know, man. So I'm, I'm trying yeah. to keep in touch with her, but it's crazy, man. So, you know, like, like they show on the news sometimes where there's protests, like over a couple thousand people got arrested because they're protesting. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, right. There's a lot of Russia that doesn't, you know, we, we kind of look at it as a 
country stereotyping, like, oh, Russians, oh, they're no good mm-hmm. now, you know, but there's a lot of Russians that don't agree with what Putin's doing. Yeah, yeah, that's it, right? And there's probably a lot that don't agree with it, but maybe they can't speak up against it because of like- I don't think they can. I honestly don't think they can. It's, it's almost like China. You know, like Different Thailand, world, right? you know, like Thailand, you know, if you speak against the, the king, you can get jailed. Oh, I heard that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a guy that wrote a, a little book on Thailand, just not talking shit, but just telling the truth about Thailand. You know, like how the the the, the king's house is pretty much made of gold, some part of it. But there's so much poverty. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a point that oh, he's built a lot of hospitals for the, the poor. So there's, there's good and bad, good and bad, good and bad. And his book wasn't like a big seller, wasn't popular. It was like a little self-published book. That maybe sold about 20 copies. Somehow the authorities got hold of that. He was put in jail for that. Fuck. Yep. So, you know, I yeah. mean, there's countries like that. Man. So I'm pretty sure yeah. Russia is probably like that too. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I see people here in Hawaii and America, you know, complaining about the mask mandate, how we're losing our freedom and you can't tell us what to do and that kind of shit. Oh my God. Open your eyes. Look what's happening in the, the real world, man. You think yeah, your shit people. is a problem. This is it's, it's nothing compared to what some of these people in Russia, China go through. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's crazy. Definitely. But yeah, man. Well, 11 years, is, uh, it's crazy to think that just happened. You know, we've had so many big world events that keep happening. And that was a huge one that happened 11 years ago. So, But yeah, I mean, I, I really hope the missions continue. I hope to one day you know, help participate in one as well, because I think that would be an amazing experience. But for, you know, everyone that does want to get involved, donate to the Ensenoe Foundation, help out wherever you can. And um, yeah, keep posted on all, all the social media channels and uh, we'll probably do something again like this in the future. All right, thanks everyone.